Did you know you can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music included with your Prime membership? To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When Henry Ford built a factory along the Rouge River in Michigan, his vision was for raw materials like iron ore to come in and automobiles to come out. Today, rolls of aluminum still feed a facility that makes modern pickup trucks. We assemble the body, so I'm over there on a left-hand body in Framer 1, which is where the marriage cell is for, like, your, your underbody comes in. The, uh, the That's James Benson. He's a third-generation Ford Motor Company worker. And then the back panels go on and things like that, and then it meets up. He spent most of his career at the Rouge Complex in Dearborn, Michigan, just west of Detroit. marries the, the bed to the cab, and they both go out to paint. It's a behemoth of a facility, one of many around what became known as the Motor City. At its peak, the century-old plant employed 100,000 people. When you take the public tour, like I did, the company brags in a video that the Rouge doesn't just make cars. New members of the American middle class were streaming from its gates by the thousand. That included the Benson family. Like neighboring Midwestern states, Michigan still has a higher share of manufacturing jobs than the nation at large. And those workers have a big influence on its politics. James isn't a reliable Democrat like his father and grandfather were. At least, not anymore. He's one of the millions of blue-collar workers who helped fuel Donald Trump's 2016 election, including a victory in Michigan. Even though Democrats made legislative gains here in 2018, Trump remained popular with these workers, even as he lost the 2020 election. Now, they're a key part of his base as he marches toward the GOP nomination. We work for where we're at, and I, I don't think that someone else should be able to basically, like, take what you have, you know, after you work for it. His <laughs> policies, they shine. They shine. Trump's? I, I, yes. Okay. I made more money than I ever had. I, my money went further. Once again, Michigan is being looked at as part of a blue wall, along with Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, that backed President Biden in 2020 and could decide who wins the White House this year. I'm Jimmy Veilkind, and this is Chasing the Base, a podcast series from The Wall Street Journal that examines the forces at play in the GOP presidential nominating contest. This episode is landing in your feed as voters in South Carolina head to the polls for the latest primary. The contest is down to Trump and former UN ambassador Nikki Haley, who is also governor of that state. Many political observers see it as Haley's last chance to show she can put up a formidable challenge to Trump, who's been leading in the polls there. Regardless of how that race shakes out, it's voters like James Benson who illustrate Trump's enduring support in the party. I came to Michigan ahead of its February 27th primary to talk to him and other blue-collar, mostly white voters who supported Democrats before backing Trump. I wanted to know, what is it about Trump, a wealthy New Yorker whose father made a fortune in real estate, that's helped him make such inroads with people in the manufacturing and other working-class sectors? His policies? His personality? And why do these voters view him more favorably on the economy than Haley? Not to mention Biden. To answer those questions about the economy, 
one of the biggest issues facing voters today, I drove around Metro Detroit. More than 100,000 people there work in auto manufacturing alone. Michigan is essentially a lunch bucket blue collar state. That's John Selleck, a longtime Republican political consultant. He's campaigned in every corner of Michigan and also worked in the state legislature. We were a state where you didn't have to go to college. The story in Lansing where I grew up is you could go to Sexton High School and as soon as you graduated, you literally crossed the street to the Oldsmobile factory and you got a job. It used to be that these lunch bucket voters reliably voted for Democrats. The Republican base was college-educated professionals, many of them affluent. But when Trump first ran for office in 2016, he took advantage of a dynamic that had been simmering under the surface. These workers felt like things were getting worse. During the Great Recession, two of the three Detroit automakers, General Motors and Chrysler, declared bankruptcy. GM closed or idled a half-dozen plants in Michigan, affecting 8,000 workers. Chrysler reduced work at a plant here, and the state's unemployment rate hit 14% in the summer of 2009, the highest in the nation. The United Auto Workers Union, which regularly endorsed Democrats, agreed to concessions. Trump was unleashing the, you're pissed and you should be. He accelerated that transition to the point that not only did Trump in 2016 win those counties that no Republican had won at the presidential level since 1984, Saginaw, Bay, Monroe, and Jackson, all these former industrial bastions, there's a Republican state representative sitting in outer Genesee County where Flint is. That had not happened in 50 years. But as much as any policy proposal, Selleck said there was a simple reason why Trump was able to bring in those voters. He had a touch of celebrity that was accessible to regular people. And no offense to my fellow Michiganians, we don't have a lot of celebrities. Terry Bowman, another Ford worker and a longtime conservative activist, was a co-chair of Trump's campaign that year. He agreed that Trump's appeal was based more on style than anything else. I have to say that trying to build support for Donald Trump among blue-collar workers was the easiest job I ever had. And it's simply because of this. Donald Trump has spent his career on job sites, on building sites. He he seems to have a way and knows how to speak directly to blue-collar workers, to tradesmen, to people who wear work boots and and tool belts on a daily basis. Trump won Michigan by 10,704 votes in 2016. If you ask Selleck and Bowman, there's no question that Trump has held on to most of the working-class voters who swung his way that year. And there's data to suggest they're onto something. By 2022, the Pew Research Center found that about half of Democratic voters had college degrees, compared to 37% for Republican voters. Trump gave those voters a reason to stay in the GOP column. While in office, he adopted policies that he said were designed to protect American manufacturing. He imposed tariffs on around $200 billion worth of goods from China. He signed an omnibus tax bill that cut rates for most Americans, though an analysis by the nonpartisan Tax Policy Center found the biggest gains went to the top 5% of earners. Inflation stayed relatively low, as did interest rates. In this campaign, Trump promises to again levy tariffs. And he's complained about higher interest rates, which are set by the Federal Reserve. To be plain, a lot of the auto workers I met in Michigan told me they just felt better off under Trump. They've been trying to recapture that vibe ever since he left office. I mean, the market was just surging because of those low interest rates. James Benson, the Ford worker, 
said he was initially put off by Trump's personality, but he felt a clear benefit from his policies. Plus, there was overtime available at his plant. In 2017, he started buying properties and renting them out online. We were able to make money on that and then transfer it into buying property up here, building a tiny home park that we're working on and some other things we're doing. These are all things I would not have been able to do under this current you know, economy. Like, it would just devastate. There's no way. Trump lost Michigan to Biden in 2020. Democrats made up the difference in more white-collar suburbs, including Oakland County outside of Detroit. They made some inroads in blue-collar areas, but it was still Trump who came out on top in those places, like Macomb County, northeast of Detroit. In addition to holding these voters, Republicans are hoping to get a boost from the political effects of Israel's war in Gaza. Michigan is home to a large Arab-American population, including in Dearborn. The mayor there has said the Biden administration, quote, failed to act to protect the lives of innocent men, women, and children. Selleck said Arab-American voters, as well as younger voters, have been upset with Biden's handling of the situation. Indeed, the White House has sent top advisors to Michigan to quell growing outrage. And so the louder and more upset, say, Dearborn gets, that has a ripple effect in Ann Arbor and East Lansing and Kalamazoo and the other college campuses. So that's spilling outward and at least subduing whatever energy Biden already had. The candidates are still paying attention to the blue-collar demographic. When the United Auto Workers went on strike last year, both Trump and Biden came to town, making Biden the first sitting president to walk a picket line. You deserve what you've earned, and you've earned a hell of a lot more than you're getting paid now. Thank you very much. That's why I'm here tonight to lay out a vision for a revival of economic nationalism and our automobile manufacturing lifeblood, which they're sucking out of our country. One of the other people on the ballot in Michigan in 2020 was Andy Levin. He's a Democrat, and he comes from a prominent political family. In Washington, his father was a member of the House of Representatives for more than 30 years, and his uncle was a senator. He gave a few observations from the other side about how Trump was able to expand the GOP base in the state. The reason that Democrats have had this erosion of especially white working class voters is that we haven't succeeded in actually delivering. So the Republican Party is against their economic interests, to me. They're anti-union, they're against expansion of services for poor and working class people, and Democrats are for them and Republicans are against them. Levin said blue-collar people who often haven't been to college, can be more socially conservative. And Republicans were able to use culture war issues, like abortion and guns, as a way to open the door to connect with these voters and then talk about the economy. My theory of the case is they wouldn't have succeeded if Democrats had robustly... If the average working class person could say, well, obviously I know what side of the bread... (laughs) What side my bread is buttered on. But it turns out, Trump expanding the party's base brought a whole new set of issues. And they were on full display when I went to Macomb County. That's after the break. Hey, what's news fans? Listen up. 
Did you know you can listen to episodes of this very show ad-free on Amazon Music included with your Prime membership? That's right. All your favorite What's News episodes can be heard on Amazon Music ad-free. But that's not all. You get access to other fan-favorite shows like The Daily, Up First, and Fox News Rundown ad-free as well. Amazon Music has all you need to stay up to date on all things newsworthy by offering the most ad-free top podcasts, so we know they definitely have something for you. And it's already included in your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or visit amazon.com slash what's news. That's amazon.com slash what's news. It's just that easy. If you want to get around downtown Detroit, you can take the People Mover monorail. But if you want to commute, you have to hit the road. Drive northeast and you'll cross into Macomb County. That area rapidly grew after World War II, when many of the auto workers who once made their home in the city moved out. Some of the factories moved, too. Those changes had a major racial undercurrent. Because of discrimination in lending and other policies, Almost everyone who left in the last part of the 20th century was white, hence the term white flight. By the year 2000, Macomb County's population was 92% white, while the city of Detroit was 82% black. That started to shift a little bit in the last two decades, but the divide is still pretty stark. My colleague Dante Chinney grew up in Macomb County. I'll let him describe its recent politics. Macomb, in particular, was home of these blue-collar uh, Democratic voters. So what's happened there in the last eight years? I can answer that in, in two words, Donald Trump. So Donald Trump happened, and Macomb County in particular is really good Trump country. It's full of these people are his people, white voters without a college degree who kind of feel like the world has passed them by. They're getting the short end of the stick. And with your vote, we will continue to bring you jobs back to enact fair trade. You saw what we've done. That's Trump campaigning in Macomb County in 2020. Nelson Westrick was there. He's 48 years old, and he's worked in the county for the last 27 years at Ford's Axle Plant in Sterling Heights. He also lives nearby and said he likes Trump's policies. It starts with his pocketbook. I used to add money to my savings account when Trump was in office. Now I'm taking out just to keep going. I used to be able to get overtime. Now it's 40 hours or less where I work anyway, but it's just the overall economy. We're not we're not moving anything. We're not pushing. I don't know. It's hurting. But it goes further. The so America are- First policies. We didn't go to war at all the entire time he was in office. That's a huge thing for me. I got two young boys who are going to be fighting age men here by the time the next president's in office. And the last thing I want them to do is go die on foreign soil. Okay. For oil or whatever the hell else, for you know, it would be for. Nelson said he used all his vacation days to campaign for Trump in 2020. When the election was over, he said the local Republican committee tried to get him to stay involved. He turned them down. But lots of other people did get involved. I met some of them on my trip a few weeks back. And the county Republican headquarters is a little unassuming. It's, it's in a strip mall between Dina Marie's Salon and Spa and Jet's Pizza. Uh, There's a coffee hour scheduled once a month where people come by for a discussion and we are here to join in. So let's go now to Peter, you have something? Of 
course, few. Okay. Just one. Just one. Just, just one. No, 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 not just one. We can be okay. there. I'll be short. One of the attendees at the coffee hour was Fred Reamer. Fred spent his career making wooden models for the auto industry. Now, you were an original 3D printer. Yes, we were top of the line. There was nobody above us except engineering. Fred's 86. He said he volunteered for Bill Clinton in the 90s, and he voted for subsequent Democratic presidential candidates. But he was attracted to Trump's business background. When President Trump came along, I thought, this is the real person, and he's speaking truth, and he wants to do big change, which makes a difference. Because I always looked at America as number one on the planet. And I'm not a socialist. I'm a person that believes in capitalism. At one point toward the end of the group discussion, Stacey Van Oost, a Republican committee woman from a nearby town, spoke up. Stacey told me she supported Trump in 2020, but she'll vote for Ron DeSantis, whose name will still be on the ballot for Michigan's February 27th Republican primary even though he ended his campaign last month. And she brought up something that, fair warning, sounds a bit like inside baseball, but it's actually really important to understanding the practical impact of how Trump expanded the GOP base in Michigan. There's been a fight going on here about who leads the state party. It includes a contested vote, a dispute with the Republican National Committee, and a lawsuit. Stacey asked the local party chairman, Mark Fortin, about who gets to vote on state party affairs. There's a lot of questions about how these slates are selected and stuff, and the party's fairly divided right now again. You know, last time it was kind of the two counties, now we've got two state parties, and emotions are high, and there's a lot of mistrust. Everybody that says yes will go. The only question will be delegates and alternates. And now we're in a war in Michigan. And we need Donald Trump re-elected. My colleague Dante said this exchange speaks to a bigger theme. Trump brought a bunch of new people into the party, but they didn't get along with the folks who'd been running it before. He's activated so many people and fired up, not just brought them into a voting, but fired them up so much and activated them so much that it has led them to this kind of point of view that it's my party. No, no, it's my party. No, no, it's my party. And they're, they're all fighting over that right now. So where does this leave us? It's clear to me that Trump's blue-collar base is still with him, and that's a big reason his many challengers haven't been able to knock him off his track to the nomination. The people we spoke with talked a bit about his economic policies, but a lot about his personality. They identify with him because, they said, he sees them and hears them in a way that no other candidate has in a long time. What's more, These voters now expect the same policies and demeanor from other Republicans that they got from Trump. Terry Bowman, the Ford worker, and I talked about it. What would it take for another Republican candidate to kind of win these voters from Donald Trump? Um, Be like Donald Trump. It's not clear exactly how Trump's following will change the Republican Party over the long term, especially its economic policies and messaging. For now, Trump is setting the standard for a big chunk of the party. But in thinking about what'll happen once he exits the political scene, I was struck by something that Nelson Westrick, the Sterling Heights auto worker, told me. I'm not a Republican, I'm a Trump supporter, America yeah. first candidate guy. And I would not just check the R box by any means. If Trump's 
not the candidate, I won't vote. Chasing the Base is part of the Wall Street Journal's What's News. This episode was produced by Jess Jupiter and Ariana Osperu. Sound designed by Jessica Fenton. Michael Lavelle wrote our theme music. Editorial oversight from Joshua Jamerson, Falana Patterson, Ben Pershing, Scott Salloway, and Chris Sinsley. I'm Jimmy Veilkind, and I'll be back in a few weeks with another installment of Chasing the Base, hearing from voters in Florida. Thanks for listening. Did you know you can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music included with your Prime membership? To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.